Hello and welcome to the podcast, How Did You End Up Here? I'm Jamie here and I'm talking to people in interesting jobs and finding out what path they took to get there. This week I'm talking to David Melvin, who is the Head of Digital Technology at Rangers Football Club. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, first one outside the studio, so thank you for hosting me in your office. A very good view, which we might touch on. Uh, but can you just give us your current job title? Sure, I am the Head of Digital Technology for Rangers Football Club. And I believe you've just you've recently celebrated your 10th year with Rangers. Yep, back in uh, October, marked uh, 10 years at Ibrox. Um, kicked off with the club in the year that they, they reached the UEFA Cup final, so um, it's been uh, a story of highs and lows, I guess you'd say, over those 10 years and a, a variety of jobs for me off the pitch as well as the uh, the variety of action that we've seen on it over that time. So you're, cause you've, you're, what was the position you came in and t- to begin with? Uh, the title would have been content producer at the time, um, which effectively is a, a journalist, a club journalist, um, working on a variety of platforms for the club at the time, um, across um, print, online, and a little bit of video work at the time. Um, albeit the the in-house setup was a little bit different to to what we have in place now. But um, content producer was the title, but um, all-round reporter and uh, and journalist, I guess, is how an outsider might consider that job to be described. And obviously your job has evolved quite considerably and as you touched on the, the club's own journey in that time from, from a European final, I think eight trophies, administration, division three, now the journey of the, the club back in the top league. Um, to, to go back just to, to the very beginning, back to your school days and your ambitions, what was your, you know, when people asked you when you were 11, 12 years old, what do you want to do when you grow up, David, what was your answer? I never had an answer. Um, I was always slightly envious of, of friends who did. I have, uh, I have a number of friends who are, are, uh, are doctors and, and who had that, um, that vocational call from, from very early on, were very clear. Um, and I, I never had a, a clear picture of, of what I wanted to do. Um, and I always found uh, careers advice at the time to be, to be wanting. Um, and I remember a, a number of years back now, a colleague uh, at Rangers describing it to me as, as uh, being because the, the job I was supposed to be doing didn't exist at the time. And uh, looking back, I think there's, there's probably some, some truth in that, that I didn't have a, a clear set of, of ideas as to, to what I wanted to do. And, um, it, it probably shows in the, um, the kind of career path that I've had that there's never, there's never been a, a set plan or, or something to pursue particularly. I mean, in terms of obviously your current title, the head of technology, was technology something you were interested in? Uh, I know I'm a wee bit older than you, but I, you know, I had the sort of early computers, things like ZX Spectrums and Atari STs and Amigas and that sort of thing. Was that was that sort of thing you were interested in when you were younger? It was, yes. Uh, my brother and I um, both very much so. Um, we had Amigas. We had fairly early PCs and my brother especially is a couple of years older than me, just with yourself. Um, he had an interest as well and I think I followed I followed that and um, right right through my career and the, the various roles that I've had I've always been interested in the 
the unseen element of of, uh, of media and the same goes for the technology. I've always been interested in uh, the, the how things are made, the how things are done um, and not necessarily the parts that the, the public sees. That's always held a bit of a fascination. I guess that goes back to, to school days. I was interested in how the uh, how the computers that we had worked and I was interested in um, the kind of technological side of the, the toys that we played with, I guess, going back even, even younger than that. And when you, you were coming to the end of your school days, did you, you know, kind of how, how were exams, did you enjoy that side of things and, you know, the qualification and moving on towards college, did you, you know, how, I know it's a lot of tension for a lot of people, not really me, that didn't really, it wasn't really my uh, calling if you like, but um, but what, what, what was your own sort of thoughts back to your 15, 16, 17? I, st I still didn't have a clear idea of what I wanted to do. Um, I had pretty good results at school um, and the careers advice, like I say, was always very much, oh, you can pick what you what you would like to do and, and pursue that. And uh, I always found that difficult because I didn't know what that was, but in terms of around that time, I guess I would have been 16 when I when I started working in, in uh, newspapers and by the time I left school um, my interest had already been peaked a little bit in, in that direction and I did go on to do a year at university but um, it was less than successful and, and perhaps a, a poorly chosen uh, course given given the future career that I would have. Mm. So, what, so when you were so obviously, for sort of putting university to the side, what was your first sort of job when you were when you were after you left school? Uh, I took advantage of the rampant nepotism that exists in journalism. Um, my dad was a journalist for over four decades and, and uh, actually still works in the industry despite officially being retired. And uh, as a result, I had a, a role in the, the copy desk, as it was known, in the Sunday Mail on a Saturday afternoon, uh, starting from pretty much as soon as I turned 16 um, and that involved all elements of uh, of running about after the people who were making the newspaper on a, on a Saturday, um, making tea, uh, pasting pages together for dummy copies, running things to and from various departments um, and I think when it kicked off it was a, a Saturday job, it was a little bit of money in the pocket. Mm -hmm. um, but I found it interesting and pretty quickly got involved in some bits and pieces outside of the, the copy desk on a Saturday afternoon and then um, as opportunities arose uh, at other times during the week and kind of, I guess on the back of my, my dad's reputation to an extent, had an opportunity to uh, to work with a sports desk and to work, in a, to work in a dark room back in the days when they still printed photographs um, as opposed to digital and um, yeah it, it kind of just took off from, from that, I didn't, I didn't spend too long in the copy desk uh, or too long solely there, uh, I had very fortunate to, to be able to dip my toe into to different areas and, and kind of get a handle on, on how things worked and, mm -hmm. and get an opportunity to, to see some other options that might be there for me. I mean it's not a disadvantage obviously to for your father's reputation, but that can only carry you so far. I mean, um, was there anything that you thought just, you know, was there a, a sort of light bulb going off in your head and go, well, maybe this is a career for me or any particular strand of it? it you know, you obviously you've, you've been a journalist at Rangers, which we touched on, you know, was it, did you start contributing 
to to some to some newspaper. Again, it, it was more about the production side of things. So <clears throat> I got involved in uh, as a sub editor on the sports desk. So I was working with other people's writing rather than my own. Although there are times when that involves completely rewriting, um, and that was fun. I think I, I enjoyed the. Uh, the occasional pressurised nature of it, the the kind of time sensitive element of of producing a Sunday paper on the back of you know football results was the the big driver obviously for the Sunday Mail, um, and just being involved in in something that was a little bit more interesting than the, mm. than the T run. I wouldn't say at that point that I necessarily foresaw it as a, a as a long term career. Um, but certainly I was aware fairly early on that uh, my part-time job was far more interesting than, than the part-time jobs that my, my peers and my friends at school were doing at the same time. Mm. And that was, so you were doing that job while you were at university? I did, I was, so as I say I was 16, I'd have been doing it for what a year or so before I left school. Um, did a first year at uni which allowed me to continue to do my weekend shifts and the occasional midweek uh, evening shift. And then um, first year exams at uni didn't, didn't go to plan and I had resets to do and that freed up an awful lot of time that was supposed to be for studying and uh, instead was spent taking up every offer that I got of, of uh, additional work. And during that time, I think I would have been maybe 18 or 19 um, at the time the, the Rangers launched their club website as a joint venture with the Records owners at the time, the Mirror Group. Um, I think it was a 50-50 partnership. And uh, one of the journalists on the, the Sunday Mail, Ian King, um, was asked about potential uh, people to be involved in that and, and put my name forward, unbeknown to me. Um, and I was asked if I was interested in, in doing that and uh, that kicked off a, uh, an association with Rangers that took a different path after a few years. Um, but that was relatively short-lived. Rangers obviously realised the potential of the site and um, I took full control of that uh, back within the club and as an employee of the Mirror Group I went back to, to work on other projects of theirs. So there was, um, it wasn't a well-planned path by any means. It was a, a series of uh, unexpected opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm grateful that there were obviously people who decided I was worth taking a chance on and um, and that allowed me to, to experience a lot of things by the time I was 18 or 19 and had decided that the university course I was on wasn't for me and that, that opened a lot of doors for me. And in terms of, you know, just to touch on a website, the, the web is fairly new concept, what sort of, it, it maybe there's a, there's maybe a feeling of you you had almost a blank page to write on, or did, you know how when you sat down and decided what, what you're going to do with that. Was there a real structure in place, or were you able to contribute to that? There was, and it was possibly complicated by the fact that it was it was led by two masters, so obviously they each had their own their own view on how things worked, um, and that led to some some interesting uh, debates about where priorities lay for the club and for the publishers and um, I guess is potentially why it, it led to it going back back to a single owner. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it was a blank sheet but I think I was probably fortunate in the timing and that maybe there were established journalists who 
um, weren't as open to, to that kind of new technology and, and that meant that they naturally sought somebody younger to, to kind of throw themselves into that and there was also an element that was very much in its infancy so there wasn't a huge expectation on it, there was the opportunity to, to try and fail and um, that, that certainly happened, there was a, a variety of things that went on in that kind of short lived period before I switched from mm. the joint venture of Rangers to the record's own, own online plans. And do you, did you see, obviously, we've seen how the internet and that sort of thing has affected, you know, print newspapers and that kind of thing. I mean, you know, back in, when it was maybe, we're talking 19, late 90s, yeah, early 2000s? Yeah, it would have been about 98, 99, I think, would have been the time that the joint venture was around. It was probably around 1999 that I would have gone kind of full-time on the records uh, output, which at that time was a portal site called IC Scotland, which again was relatively short-lived and perhaps a little bit before its time mm -hmm. but again I benefited from them seeking a, uh, a kind of younger staff to run that mm -hmm. than was running the, the traditional newspaper so um, I guess my timing was was just right I was of the right generation to kind of take up those those first opportunities in that kind of field. And what was the what's the feeling around newsrooms and that sort of thing with this in new internet things that kind of oh it's curious it's quite interesting but it's not that big a deal, or did you, you know, I don't imagine anyone can appreciate what, how it's gone, but I wonder what the feeling was around that time, was it an excitement or an interest? I think it was very definitely kept separate at that time, um, it wasn't until later on that I worked directly on the newspaper's website, so I think there was always a kind of, I guess a start-up feel to it, or a, a separate entity feel, although we were based in the same office space, it was a very distinct staff and, and it wasn't part of the newsroom at the time. Um, it was perhaps a little bit more like uh, a magazine staff working within a, a Sunday newspaper and it was it was defined in its own right. Mm -hmm. So I never found any, um, any opposition to it, albeit at that time that would have been those discussions would have been happening above the level that I was I was working at then. I found a real level of enthusiasm from the people that were brought in to set that up and the, the people like myself that were brought in to work on it day to day. There was a there was a, a very good camaraderie. I still have good friends from that time um, and I think they they were sensible in their approach to that and maybe not trying to bring along a newsroom that was that was wary of that, that technology at the time. In your own role on a day-to-day -day basis, was that the technology side of it, content, a bit of both? Or? It was much more content focused. Again, actually going way back to then, it, it, content producer was the title back then as well. Um, and it involved a lot of things at, at the time. There was a bunch of different channels within that portal that they built and I covered some sport and I covered some entertainment stuff and uh, music reviews and film reviews and all sorts of... Um, yeah, just that, the kind of portal site that you, mm -hmm. you'd see now, you know, the kind of thing that people people are looking for their, their entertainment from. Mm -hmm. um, and is that you getting out, watching films, reviewing them and stuff? That must be yep. quite cool. Uh, going out and interviewing musicians. and yeah. um, it, There was very much an approach of anything that we can do, let's do. Let's do it. Um, and that was, that was a nice environment to work in and kind of mm -hmm. brought that enthusiasm. And, um, I guess because it's new technology and it's mm. you know it's not trying to break an established brand or anything like that. It was it was quite fun to, to work on and, and again opportunities to, to kind of
try stuff and see yeah. what works and, and what doesn't. And it was the first opportunity to to kind of touch on some of the, the things that we work on at the, at the club now in terms of uh, live output on, on the internet. And mm -hmm. uh, we did a couple of live weekly shows and some uh, live broadcast from football. Um, again, that opened my eyes to the the work that went into to producing that that end result. I was never particularly interested in being the man with the mic, mm -hmm. um, but I, I did like the kind of production side of things. And the when you're streaming, you know, football matches. I think you know back in '99, you were streaming football matches very very early on. Uh, you working that out yourself? You know how this this. You know, to getting a grant, you know, getting a piece of paper done. If we do this, this, and this, then the end result should be this. And yeah, there was really a couple of us. There was, I guess, my boss at the time, the guy who hired me, who's, who was kind of the driver of it, but um, wasn't really a, a football fan, but but appreciated the potential for the audience. And we did a weekly, I guess you would call it a phone in, mm -hmm. um, where we used to we used to use studio space at the BBC. Um, at the old BBC buildings in the west end of Glasgow and um, I remember carrying an entire PC rig from the offices of the, the record building to the, to the BBC to set up every week because it had the, the kit and the software that we needed and um, we took phone calls and emails from people and you know it was it was a, an hour long discussion and it involved uh, Tom Miller who's uh, now a regular fixture uh, at Rangers TV um, and that that was great fun. It was working in the studios again, you know, on the opposite side of the glass from Tom, and and being the guy behind the scenes making sure it worked, and not the guy, not the guy with the mic. Mm. Uh, and then we took that. Um, I, I think probably at Tom's uh, suggestion to to a game. Mm -hmm. uh, it was Ian Ferguson's testimonial match, and uh, he made the suggestion that perhaps it was possible to to do the same from a a football stadium and um, in the enthusiasm of youth I said that sounds like a great idea let's do that uh, and then yeah it was sitting with a bit of paper and figuring out okay how do we go from mm -hmm. a studio with all the technology we've got to a football stadium and and make it work and, and we did and it was it was great fun and probably the first real taste of uh, the excitement that comes from a live environment that you can't really replicate uh, day to day, mm -hmm. um, that was that was fun and, and nice to be involved in a a real first. It was the first time anyone had really tried something like that, mm -hmm. um, and for it to be successful and, and well received was was pretty enjoyable. Because you've got a distinct deadline of when the game kicks off, you can't ask anybody to hold on for you. You've just got to be ready. And yeah, it's got to work or or not, um, and you can do a lot of testing, you can do a lot of planning, but you can't really throw that into. Mm -hmm. Uh, until people start using it and yeah. albeit then it was very much in its infancy and its audience was small but the principles that apply to uh, to Rangers TV now applied to what was essentially online radio commentary back then the, the same principles are there in terms of making it work and making it work on time. Mm -hmm. And how long were you with Mirror Group altogether? What, what kind of... It kind of spanned about 10 years I guess overall there was a couple of years like I say in the um, in the Sunday Mail in a variety of roles, a couple of, maybe a year doing the uh, the joint venture with Rangers, a couple of years with IC Scotland until eventually the portal side of it wasn't working 
and they kind of absorbed that into the newspaper website. A bunch of people left and uh, I was one of the ones that was retained and um, looked after the record and Sunday Mail websites for a good few years. Mm -hmm. At the time it was very much about uh, replicating what was produced in print online. Mm -hmm. um, at that point probably was when you saw the, the conflict between uh, traditional media and new media in terms of the kind of fear of, of loss of audience and and as a result it was you know taking that print and the journalism that was already being produced and, and reproducing online there was no dedicated content team for the mm -hmm. for the website it was very much about um, about reproducing. Mm -hmm. And when you're so when you finished up with the Mirror Group um, did you have specific plans, you know, what, or can I ask what sort of prompt, what brought the time at the Murder Group to an end, if I can ask that, and secondly, uh, you know, what, what was your thoughts then, do you think, okay, well, that, that was a really good experience, or? Um, what brought it to an end was a, an unexpected redundancy. Um, I guess around the time that they decided to change the, the philosophy with the website and perhaps start to pursue specific content. Um, I think their website moved to be controlled from London, from their, their kind of centralised, it had been Trinity Mirror by then. Um, and there was redundancies for a bunch of us in, in Glasgow. And the plan at the time was non-existent. Um, as it turns out, I spent a year travelling. Mm -hmm. um, and how did that, did that shape your idea of your career? Obviously it was a great, you know, it's a great I've been travelling myself, it's a fantastic time. The, the, on the here and now, just enjoy. But does it? Did you sit back and at any point and think uh, of oh, well, this is the wide world now, and what what's I've got plenty of possibilities. I think I probably envisaged doing that at the start, um, but then a week before I came home, I started thinking, actually, what am I going to do now? Um, and I, I suppose similar to the time at, at school, I still didn't have a clear idea of exactly what area it was I, mm. I wanted to go into. I think I was. I was fairly convinced that it wasn't back to newspapers necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, I'd had a brief stint before I, before I travelled after being made redundant where I was involved with uh, STV when they set up their websites the first time. Um, and that gave me another little look at uh, kind of the online world and maybe a, a media approach that was slightly different to a newspaper. But in truth I came back and um, I freelanced in the first the, the the first kind of few months that I was that I was back in Scotland, um, worked for a couple of different newspapers at like the Express and Scotland and Sunday, and um, kind of going back to the start and, and sub editing and just um, figuring out what the what the options were, and then um, there was the job advert for for the role at Rangers, and um, and that kind of process kicked in two or three months after I. I came back from travelling mm -hmm. um, and things happened relatively fast after that and again it came as a uh, an opportunity to get involved in something a little bit different so the, the technology and the output was similar but the nature of the business was very different from a, mm -hmm. a traditional media company um, and maybe opened the door to a few different elements rather than just the 
kind of print and website of things. Mm -hmm. And so, what was your initial when you've come in at Rangers? What kind of setup you're, you're wanting in a team of co content producers? Yeah, there would have been uh, three, three or four of us at the time. Um, there was a little changeover of staff. Myself and uh, Andrew Dixon started uh, on the same day. That's what happens, and it was a fairly, fairly small team. Um, working on the club's website, um, on the Rangers news mm -hmm. and a little bit of online video. Um, at the time Satanta was still on the go so we kind of worked alongside what was then Rangers TV but um, they were two very separate um, production teams. So the focus was, was on in-house content, it was writing for the Rangers news, it was writing for the website and a little bit of uh, camera work and editing for the for the small bits of video that the club did back in those days. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned your first season was the 2007-2008 season. Rangers played 68 matches, got to three cup finals, including the UEFA Cup final, and were still in contention in the league until about 25 minutes before the end of the season. I recall uh, before the end of the league season, anyway. Um, I mean, it was that season was relentless on a number of fronts, uh, and as a Rangers fan, I, f I seem to be going to a match every few days. But I didn't have to sit down and do any work after it. What? How was that for you? It was great. Um, I don't think you could have asked for a better time to, to join. Obviously, the mood was mm -hmm. um, was great. I came in in the October of that that year. You're right, I think it was 68 games we played in the end. And I think I covered in that season the equivalent of what now would be deemed to be a normal season, mm -hmm. ballpark of you know 50 games, give or take, depending on mm -hmm. the level of success in the various cup competitions. And It was relentless, but uh, for somebody kind of joining a, a reasonably established department, it was mm -hmm. a brilliant opportunity to just... There was, there was no question you were going to get involved in everything, you yeah. were going to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. There was loads of opportunities for games and loads of stuff that goes around that, which meant, mm. you know, all of the exciting things that people would expect, like the, you know, the foreign travel and all mm. that. But just the fact that there was so much happening meant that you, you were able to get stuck into stuff mm. um, right from the start. There was no kind of slow burn in terms of the um, picking up the pace of the department. It was mm. just a case of here are all the things that need done. And mm. So I think that worked really well in, in my favour as well as being uh, a pretty intense and, and exciting mm. few months, you know. I think uh, I know there's plenty of people that would uh, that would uh, swap seats with me. You know, it was there was a lot of work involved, but yeah. it was it was great fun and a real change of pace from uh, the previous roles that I'd had, which were largely office based. Mm -hmm. um, kind of let me let me get out and about and um, and experience things from a, a bit of a different angle. It was mm -hmm. it was great. Can you give us an insight into, you know, if you go on a European trip, it's a match, finishes late, with the time difference, it's probably close to midnight at times, you've got to start filing reports and that sort of thing, does that, does that go online? And how, how does, you know, what, how does that work? And then you're probably thinking, it was another game this weekend, so I've got to get back and then I've got to do this. I mean, there's a, do you maybe just split everything up into, okay, tonight I've got to do this, and then I'll think about Saturday's game? Yeah, I think, um in that season in particular, relentless is the right word, I think. Um, 
and it depended on the venues, but <coughs> um, as much as they blur into one now, I think there were a number of frantic dashes from football stadiums to airports mm-hmm. whilst trying to edit video and write stories and check in bags and I've closed my laptop at an airport security conveyor belt more than once and then opened it at the other side desperately mm-hmm. trying to get something on before the, the plane takes off. Mm-hmm. Um, and those can be frantic but you know that's that's what you're there for, that's, mm-hmm. that's the job. And then in terms of the next game it, Mm-hmm. It came round, you know. These yeah. these things continue to happen. There's there's no um, there's no getting away from them. So there would be, you know, press coverage the following day, or you know, interviews the following day, and Rangers news to sign off every week. And mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot happening, but um, it was a very good group of uh, hardworking individuals who mm-hmm. who had a lot of fun and uh, did a lot of work in that year. Because you'd imagine you sort of. You get the kind of close season to to sort of not reset things a wee bit, but there's new signings to cover. Uh, European qualifiers come very early, especially obviously. Um, I'm sure we, the the next qualifier was the next July. They've only finished the very very end of May, I think, as well. So not much time, and but you, you must enjoy that environment of just the sort of uh, constantness. Yeah, um, I think if you're interested in the the nature of the work then yes I enjoyed the work and obviously you know well you get paid to watch football mm-hmm. um, there's loads of people that would love that that privilege and um, that was certainly the case and yes it, it continued to be busy mm-hmm. um, there was pre-season trips there was you know there was there was a lot going on there was planning for um, for print productions and, and such like but um, it's always an exciting, mm-hmm. it's always an exciting spell that, you know, you're building up to, to another season of it and obviously we'd come off the back of a <clears throat> a disappointment in, in terms of how the UEFA Cup and the league season ended but it had been a, a hugely exciting season and that, that was my first kind of, yeah. my first taste of being involved in that and um, it was kind of exciting to know that, mm-hmm. that you were going to get it from the very beginning the next season yeah. rather than kind of coming in when things had already started rolling. And obviously these moments are sort of historical moments to, to the people who obviously care about it I, know you're not, I mean you being one of them but um, you're sort of recording these moments in, in the club's history um, you know so it's like it's, it must, you know, must give you a bit of pride to say well look back on you know obviously in your, the first few years a number of title deciders I think t- two out of the three titles went to the last day um, you must be able to look back at these you know, and I mean, I can from personal experience. People save those magazines, you know, for forever, basically. And uh, um, so, it must give you a bit of pride to think, well, you know, your words and, and you, what you've something you've designed is, is cherished by a lot of people for a lot of time. Yeah, it's great. You get the kind of um, the double-edged sword of it's chaotic, especially like you say those uh, those last day ones um, where you're you're scrambling to get as much. Uh, content in places you can mm-hmm. and the knowledge that um, at the end of those celebrations the players are going to disappear on you for a couple of months mm-hmm. till, they, till they recover so you have a frantic um, frantic period of securing all that stuff but then like you say you, 
you kind of sit down and assess what you have and mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to to record those people's thoughts and, and also to mm-hmm. to an extent to share it with them. You know, you get them at their um, arguably their most open straight after an, yep. an event like that where they are excited and they'll tell you exactly how they're feeling mm-hmm. at the at that point in a way that maybe you don't during the course of a normal interview mm-hmm. over the course of a normal season. Um, and yeah, it's nice to have that that down and, and recorded, but um, I go back to what I said before, I've always been more interested in, in how that happens mm-hmm. and, and in making that happen than I have particularly in, in, uh, in having my name anywhere near any mm-hmm. of it. Um, it's nice to know that people enjoyed what we produced. Um, but I take a lot of pleasure from knowing the the effort and the work and the thought that went into to producing that stuff for people. So you've been here for maybe you've been here for four-ish years, um, you know, without getting into the ins and outs of the club changing hands and all the rest. For the club went into administration in February 2012. For fans, obviously, it was a it was a devastating thing. But you know, for someone who was a a fan and b you know, worked, it was an employee basically and who's clearly as powerless as anybody else to do anything about it. How, you know, how, can you can you take me back to that time and how, how it was for you? It must have been, I mean, I can only imagine, it was, it was horrendous for me looking on from the outside. I can only imagine it was it was even worse for people people that were here in the building. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was definitely a stressful period. Um, I think, I'm fortunate enough to still be sitting here. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of people who weren't as lucky as, as I was in, in surviving mm-hmm. uh, all of the cuts and all of the changes that were made over the course of a number of years. And mm-hmm. uh, so I would always, uh, I would always couch anything I say about that spell in in, in that regard. And mm-hmm. I, I know I'm fortunate to to still be here. Um, but that doesn't take away from the fact that yes, it was a, it was a very stressful period coming to work. I remember uh, the week it happened, um, I think it may have been the day after perhaps, um, that I had interviewed uh, Carlos Bocanegra, was how I started my day. Mm-hmm. And uh, the end of the day was a um, a squad of policemen in the reception at Ibrooks who were there to allow staff to leave mm-hmm. safely in amongst the, the protests. And, mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm suggesting any of us were the target of people's ire, but mm. it was a very, um, a very powerful contrast of uh, the kind of highs and the excitement of interviewing mm. the, a guy who's a legendary captain of America and mm. should have been a very good player for Rangers uh, to, to kind of finish your day in a way that you would never envisage in any mm. any job, um, and that kind of that kind of caught it in a in a microcosm, and then we had the odd. Um, the kind of odd spell of, of being a club media department who um, it was never quite clear what we could or, or should be saying about mm-hmm. the situation um, and I think people can look back on the content that was produced at that time and, and draw their own conclusions from uh, from how that was for, for the people working on it but um, I know that in that time we got uh, nothing but support from uh, from fans. Um, very little criticism was was cast in our direction, and um, 
I have to say the majority of people that I encountered were uh, were supportive and understanding of the fact that you say like as well as the, uh, the kind of the view of it as a fan there was the view of it as a livelihood for mm-hmm. and not just for for yourself but you're obviously worried about mm-hmm. uh, colleagues who are in um, even more precarious positions and mm-hmm. so yeah it was a it was a stressful uh, a stressful and interesting spell to, to kind mm-hmm. of work through and like I say I'm glad that, that I I was one of the lucky few who managed to get out the other side of it. No, t- totally and it's obviously you know Rangers is a a polarising uh, you know thing in Scottish society you know and um, you know I've you know, obviously many discussions on it with people who like Rangers and people who don't like Rangers but and you saw uh, there's a part you know the f- the football fan and you can sort of go well you know we've turned up at these as a fan looking at it from the fans point of view Rangers of uh, you know myself included we've gone to stadiums watched our team beat them four or five nil and I suppose this is this was their chance for some sort of, or not revenge but they sort of, like they've seen us fall a wee bit and and I sort of so you sort of can there's a part he sort of understands and maybe enjoyed the the team falling down or whatever, but I think a lot of people did forget the hum- there was a, a massive human element to behind the scenes. People who had done absolutely nothing wrong to come to their work and you know were, were left you know in a situation, a horrendous situation. Um, I mean, part of me thinks you almost feel guilty for having survived in the same, and when other people you know had to leave and things. So. I mean, it almost it annoys me on your behalf in a way that people, that people, some people, almost you know, are, um, almost still sort of you know sort of celebrate it in a way. The anniversary. Of, I mean, it was you know it's, we're recording this in sort of the twentieth of February, so the anniversary was last week, and it's I don't know. They they seem to forget. I don't know if you've got an, an opinion that, and you know, in a way, no no worries if you don't. But it's uh, yeah, I almost find myself getting getting furious on your behalf and. Um, I don't. I there are uh, polarising is the word. Um, I think even if you take what happened to the club out of it, mm-hmm. um, people will have strongly held views one way or another. Um, because they often had the debate of sitting in the back of a taxi and being asked what you do, and considering whether it's a wise idea to open your mouth and be upfront about that, because you never quite know the. The reaction you're going to get, um, and that 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 maybe that was heightened during everything that happened. Um, to a large extent, I would say that the majority of people I dealt directly with throughout that period outside the club were broadly sympathetic on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there were obviously people who took pleasure in in what was happening and. Uh, how you want to describe that is, you know, for others to decide. But um, the majority of clubs and uh, and individuals that we dealt with um, were very kind to us. Whether they held different views about the club mm-hmm. um, privately was was another matter. And yeah, that we encountered people who weren't mm-hmm. um, and who took great pleasure in the, the fall from grace, but. Um, I think having survived that initial part 
getting through that was was mm. relatively straightforward yeah. uh, from a from a professional point of view, and uh, having survived to this point, then um, I, I look forward to the the time where we're back where we were when when I started my career here, and uh, I'll have my own thoughts about those that I encountered along the way who mm. I know won't enjoy the night the way that, that you and I will. Um, your job's evolved over this period of time um, and I know that um, you've obviously got a, a team of people now who work under you. Uh, what, I mean, firstly, how do you enjoy that side of things, you know, having a, guiding a team forward and selecting the team as well? Um, you, you enjoy that side of working? Because you know, I, know I know personally you've got good guys here, how do, how do you enjoy that? I really enjoy that. Um, it's something that uh, I wasn't sure how I'd how I'd find that side of it, but um, I'm fortunate that uh, a very good team, um, and I had a chance to shape that, mm. and uh, that's been a, a nice process, and it's uh, it's enjoyable to to see how they work as a team and to see them uh, having the same kind of uh, pleasures and frustrations that I had when I did the similar kind of roles when I when I first started with the club and uh, the knowledge of the, the kind of experiences that they'll have to come when uh, when we're winning major competitions again and um, and I'm proud of what they produce um, so yeah I really enjoy the I really enjoy having a, a team working under me and and uh, it's been a different experience to be the person sat on the other side of the table when you're when you're recruiting for mm-hmm. for staff. Um, but it's pleasing when you kind of see the results of that and mm-hmm. uh, and how they are perhaps living up to what you you expected of them. Just a friend that might be listening who you know is when they're going for jobs and stuff of uh, perhaps younger people graduating from university and that sort of thing. What can I ask? What you aside from any technical qualities that each job might require, do you need sort of key points that you look for in a, in a person that's coming to to speak to you about potentially a job? Um, it's largely based around attitude. Um, I, I often listen to our manager talking about player recruitment and think that the, the principles uh, carry over into lots of areas of the business where um, the first requirement is that somebody's capable technically of doing the job. Um, on top of that you want to see some some passion for football, some passion for Rangers, and um, and a, an enthusiasm and an attitude that they they want to be involved. And mm-hmm. um, there's lots of things that you can teach people, but uh, attitude is a a, diff- a difficult one to mm-hmm. and to pass on to people. And um, it's usually the thing that makes someone uh, stand out from the crowd mm-hmm. is their approach to things. And obviously, for, for yourself to to get the position you're in. Um, you've obviously had to learn about things that maybe you didn't learn. You, and obviously, there's, I'm sure you'd, be, you'd admit that the guys on your team will know more about you, about your specific specialities and that sort of thing, but you've obviously had to find out enough about about that sort of thing. Can you talk to me about that sort of process and just, I suppose, upskilling yourself? Because obviously, when you, know, when you, were, made, when you were given your own position of, of managing other people, uh, you've obviously had to gain a certain amount of, as well as your own attitude and personal outlook, whatever, you've had to you've had to find out about what other people do as well. Yeah, and I think some of that, um, 
again there were opportunities that were there partly as a result of what happened to the club and, and departures and the fact that there were you know insufficient staff to do what the club wanted us to do um, but I suppose I've always had an interest in uh, in how things work and um, I never liked working with people on a day to day basis when I didn't really understand what they did and uh, and how my approach to things would impact that so I've always been of the attitude that if you can understand what someone else's challenges are then maybe you can make their life a little bit easier and how you, you approach dealing with them and that kind of grew arms and legs from um, uh, sticking my nose into to, uh, to the video and the television side of, of what the club was doing and trying to get an understanding of why does it work like this? How does it work? Um, and and also of witnessing uh, frustrations that people had and trying to understand if there was anything that, that we could do to to smooth those out. Um, and I think that goes right back to um, to the early days working in newspapers, where I was just interested in what what everyone was doing, and mm-hmm. um, that allowed me to kind of spot elements of that where I felt like I could I could contribute and um, and perhaps give me opportunities to to get involved in a, in a little more than than maybe was first expected or, or first de- defined from a role and it's probably a reason why over the course of the, the kind of two main chunks of my career working for um, for a newspaper group and for a football club that I've had a variety of different roles that have that have evolved have been a little bit amorphous, I guess, when you look at the, the effectively two employers, but you know, maybe half a dozen jobs in, in each over the course of time. Um, and yeah, I, I don't need to know the detail of absolutely everything, but the better the understanding you have, then uh, the more likely you are to be able to see where you can help someone and, um, and where there are opportunities for uh, both personally and for, for a business. And just almost to, f- to finish, really, you, uh, as you touched something you said right at the start was that you've probably got a job now that didn't exist when you entered the workforce. And do you think that sort of uh, willingness to learn and just if your natural instinct to want to learn, do you think that's what's helped you helped you arrive where you are today? Yeah, I think so. Um, I've never been shy of getting involved in, in anything. Um, and I've pretty quickly been able to understand whether it's something for me or, or not and I think when I look back to uh, considering what I wanted to do, if we go back to what we were talking about at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't clear then. Um, it's much more clear that those opportunities will present themselves when uh, when the time is right. Um, and yeah, a, a little bit of uh, good fortune, good timing and um, lots of hours that uh, allow, allow chances to, to grow into different jobs, different roles. But is it, I think, is it, uh, I I'm going to mess this phrase up now, but I think luck is just like when sort of preparation meets opportunity. Yeah, and I think, um, I think I have been lucky. Like, I, I think I've been lucky to have, to have some opportunities, but um, I've made the most of those. Yeah. Um, and I, w- I always try and convey that to, to people whenever 
whenever I can that you, you never really know what's around the corner. Like you say, this job didn't exist five years ago even. Um, so who knows how things look in, in five years' time and um, you kind of have to be thinking about that mm. as much as you can. I remember uh, going back to the very beginning when I was working in the copy desk and um, encountering somebody in a, uh, in a lift as I headed up to the editor's office who was an external client, I don't know who or what connection, who asked me who I was and what I was doing. Uh, and I told him, I'm just a copy boy. And he said, you're never just anything. Um, and that kind of stuck with me. Mm -hmm. um, it maybe didn't sink in straight away, but it kind of made me realise that, yeah, everyone's got a role and there's a reason that that position is there and mm -hmm. everything contributes. and. Um, maybe you spend that that time thinking about what might be more than just a copy boy and I've tried to carry that with me as, as much as I can right throughout my career. Fantastic and if I could say one final thought, well, one final question David, does anybody not only in Scotland or anywhere else, any office on earth have, I used to know a guy who worked in a building looking over Circular Quay in Sydney which is one of my favourite places and views on the whole planet but your office is uh, glass windows looking out onto Ibrox, on the pitch at Ibrox Stadium. Um, I, don't, I don't even know if there are any other offices in in the stadium do that. You'll know better than me, but um, um, no, I don't think it's they do. Pretty spectacular. Fairly unique. Um, we have a an unusual location for uh, for our operation here because of the technical setup on a match day, which means that we're in the corner of a stand. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's a fairly spectacular view. Um, one that I know a few people would, uh, would quite like to get their hands on if they could. They'll talk to them, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. David, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure doing you, thanks. Thank you. That's all for this time. Thanks very much for downloading or streaming this episode. And thanks, of course, to David Melvin for sitting down with me. You can follow me on Twitter. It's simple enough. I'm at Jamie Hare and give me any thoughts you have. And you can also follow David on Twitter. He's at RFC underscore David. Goodbye for now and I'll be back in the next week or so with the next edition of How Did You End Up Here?